0: Well, let's turn to Galatians 6 and verse 11, and uh, our theme this evening is being grace people, being grace people. Now, where do we get this from uh, as we look at Galatians 6, 11 to 18? Well, we get it really from the whole letter of which this is Paul's powerful conclusion. What had... What had happened is that some converted Jews had come up from Jerusalem to these churches in North Galatia, which are now modern Turkey, and they've started saying to the Gentile believers that, yes, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the only way of salvation, but you do need to add one or two things to that. You need to be uh, circumcised, Uh, you uh, need to keep to the Jewish uh, uh, food laws, in fact, uh, Paul makes a big thing in verse uh, uh, two, uh, chapter two of of Peter, who used to eat with the uh, Gentiles, drawers and even uh, Barnabas shares in his hypocrisy. Um, also, um, they've got to start keeping the um, the special days of uh, of the Jewish year. They've got to start keeping the Saturday, the Jewish Sabbath. They've got to start keeping the Day of Atonement and Passover, and And uh, these other feasts you find that in uh, in Galatians 4 and at that point he despairs Paul despairs that he has labored among you among them in vain how could you possibly uh, adopt all these errors why are these people some of them converted Pharisees teaching you these things why are these false teachers causing you to suffer so much for two reasons it seems to me they don't understand truly what grace is and they certainly don't understand what it is to be a grace person so Paul picks up his pen and in a large letters writes this passionate appeal at the end of this letter it's a bit like pressing the bold and underlying button on our computers so that they really get the message. So, what does it mean to be a, a grace person? Now, we all, we all know, uh, I guess, what the normal definition of grace is. Grace is God's unmerited love. God, God's, uh, grace is God's unconditional love to us uh, in our lostness and in our need. But I want to broaden the definition of grace slightly in this sermon and and define it like this. What do we have that we have not received? That's what defines a grace person. What do we have that we have not received? In terms of our spiritual life and our salvation, what do we have that we haven't received absolutely nothing everything comes from God it's all his work from beginning to end for by grace are you saved Uh, through faith this is not of yourselves Uh, it is the gift of God it is not of works lest any man should boast so we know in the realm of salvation all the glorious spiritual blessings that we have in Christ we receive because of who he is And what he has done for us. But even in the realm of what we call common grace, the everyday things of life, if we have money, uh, if we have uh, a happy family life, if we have a satisfying job, um, if we have good health, uh, where do these blessings come from? Do we deserve any of these things? Or would we say, what have I got that I have not received that defines a grace person now this evening, let us uh, look at this subject first of all, how do we become a grace person and in this passage, I think there's three things that we need to see again there and then secondly, how does this what does this look like in our lives? What are the consequences of becoming? a grace person and again in this passage there are five things that uh, describe uh, this so how do we become a grace person well grace people have been to calvary you will notice how the cross dominates this last chapter uh, this last paragraph of this letter these false teachers in verse 11 are forcing these gentiles to be circumcised in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of christ they want to avoid all the implications that flow from the cross of the lord jesus christ but paul is exactly the opposite in verse 14 he 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 doesn't want to boast in anything or glory in anything except for the cross of the lord jesus christ you cannot become a grace person until you've been to Calvary. Because there's two lessons that every grace person has to learn and there's only one place where you can learn those lessons and that's at Calvary. And with my smitten heart with tears, to wonders I confess the wonders of his glorious love and my own worthlessness we don't learn those two lessons how immense how glorious how amazing is god's love to us in christ and our own utter emptiness and feebleness and unworthiness and sinfulness and wretchedness if we don't learn those two things we can never become a grace person and we can only learn them at the foot of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there we, we realise that although grace is free to us and comes to us without any conditions, it's very, very expensive for God. It demands the sacrifice of his own son. It, invi- it involves his utter suffering and death. And it comes freely to us, this love that sent the the Son of God to, to Calvary. And if we haven't been to Calvary, we won't ever understand the depth of our need, how ruinous our condition was, how great was the disaster we are in, and disaster we are still to face. And then as we see these things, and in living faith, trust in the work that that that, uh, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, has done for us on the cross and we taste the fullness of his forgiveness, we're overwhelmed with his love. We look again at the cross and we see the length to which God has gone to for you and me. We see that it involved public execution, Riving in abject agony for hours on a cross hanging naked and ending with God hanging limp and dead on a tree in the chilly darkness of a Friday afternoon have you been to Calvary? have you been overwhelmed with the love of Christ? not only the love of, of God for his people. But can you say, he loved me? He he, he he went to the cross for me. He gave himself for me. Alas, and did my saviour bleed? And did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for crimes that I had done he groaned upon the tree amazing pity grace unknown and love beyond degree well might the Sun in darkness hide and shut his glories in when God the mighty maker died for man the creatures sin thus Might I hide my blushing face while his dear cross appears, dissolve my heart in thankfulness and melt my eyes to tears. But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away, tis all that I can do. Have you been to Calvary you cannot become a grace person until you've been to Calvary but secondly grace people have been born again look at verse uh, 15 it's not circumcision or uncircumcision that counts but a new creation becoming a new creature being a recreated being having God's spiritual life uh, imparted to you being spiritually reborn and, and remade god indwelling you by his spirit giving you a brand new start you got to be born again you got to have the life of god in your soul you can't just patch up what's wrong it goes deeper than just doing a few minor repairs it needs a brand new start And you need need to be born into a new humanity, into a new sort of human person and human race. You need to be a spiritual person made alive by Christ's spirit so that you no longer belong to this world, but belong to the world that to come and looking for the resurrection and for paradise. Have we been born again? Have we discovered what it means Like John Newton would say, I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. It wasn't a command. He wasn't telling Nicodemus, look, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven until you go out and find a way of getting yourself born again. No, it's utterly passive. Passive. Not until you experience this great work of God in your life can you even see the kingdom of heaven, let low and become a part of it. It's the absolute necessity of the new birth. You cannot become a grace person unless you've been born again. But thirdly, and a little bit deeper, grace people have been united with Christ look at uh, verse uh, 14 but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom or by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world what do we mean by union with Christ well Paul, Paul says in Galatians 2 uh, and verse 20 I, ha- I have been crucified with Christ it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh or in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The, 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 the great theme of, of, of Paul's writings is being in Christ. And, uh, and he tells us in chapter 5 of verse 6 that circumcision and uncircumcision, again, doesn't veil any... It, Us anything just as it doesn't here in chapter 6 and verse 14 because in Christ it's faith working itself through love it's 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 being bonded and united with our Savior what does that mean well it means that everything that's true of Jesus becomes true for us because our lives are united to his and what happens to us also affects him because this is a mutual union. Christ in us, the hope of glory, and we are now in Christ. We are now united to Christ. So, for instance, um, Paul would argue that uh, uh, that uh, we 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 are crucified with Christ, literally co-crucified, not uh, not a, not in some sort of literal way. But in a sort of representative way, that when Jesus died on the cross, says Paul, I was co-crucified with him. I was there with him, dying on that cross, just like we were with the first uh, Adam when he sinned. We're told that by Paul in Romans 5, aren't we, that the whole world fell into sin, uh, not because Adam sinned, but because we sinned. We were in him. He was our representative head. So what is true now of Jesus becomes true of his people, this new born-again race of spiritual people. That's why we will be raised with Christ. That's why um, even now we're seated with Christ in heavenly places if christ is there if it's anything to do with jesus then it's to do with us as well and there are negative aspects to this isn't there the sufferings uh, of jesus flow into our lives as paul would say um, in verse 17 i bear the marks of jesus on my body but in what sense does our lives affect jesus well The one or two verses that help us I think Uh, Paul in one place says uh, he makes up uh, in his body what was lacking in the sufferings of Christ that's an amazing verse isn't it that somehow as Jesus's people are suffering so 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 Jesus is suffering with them Uh, He's identifying with his people or when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus and Jesus speaks to him uh, in the midst of that light brighter than the noonday sun, he doesn't say, so, so, why are you persecuting my people? He says, why are you persecuting me? Because if you persecute my people, it affects me. It's me that you are persecuting. This is wonderful union with Christ. And to become a grace person, we have to have that, that bond, that wonderful uh, uh, relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ that is links us to him and him to us forever, a little like a marriage. How could we define a, a union with Christ? Well, we could expand it a bit like this. Our lives are inextricably bound up in his We cannot extricate ourselves from this union. It's impossible to separate, closely joined or related, so entangled as to make escape possible. We are one with the Lord Jesus Christ. His people are everything to him, and he is everything to us. And there is nothing that can compare to this wonderful thing that happens the very moment we believe as we put our saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that act of believing is the moment when we're united to him and we're united to him forever. So grace people have been to Calvary, they have been born again, and they are united with Christ. Now secondly, what are the consequences of being grace people how does this uh, how does this appear in the way that we live our lives and there are five things I want us to see in this passage and the first is this there is no place for pride there are no grounds for boasting of uh, look at verse 12 it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ uh, they're trying to avoid uh, uh, the, the sufferings that flow from the cross but they're now they're now sort of giving themselves a pat in the back every, every time they get one of these gentle Gentile believers to undergo circumcision oh, they're making a they're bigging themselves up. Aren't we brilliant? We've got, got another convert to our side. Every time they stop eating their Gentile food and start eating their kosher food, oh, we've won another one. Look, they're even keeping our feast days now. Oh, we're going to take pride in the great ability we have to bring all these people over to our way of thinking. That's what these false teachers were like. They, they were just full of glorying and boasting in themselves, but so Paul would say, there is no ground for boasting, except for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I survey the wondrous cross, on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord that i should boast save in the death of christ my god the whole idea of a grace person being proud and boastful is a contradiction in terms it's not only a contradiction it is totally contemptible to pretend to be a grace person and then think it's all about you and, and your position, uh, and and glorying in yourself. How could you possibly be a grace person uh, and just boast about all the things that you are and you have achieved, and uh, all these people that have been converted over now to being circumcised? Paul says, I'm not going to share in that sort of boasting. I've only got one thing I can ever boast about, and that is the grace of God revealed to me in the cross of the Lord jesus christ because we are absolutely nothing we are dust we are worms we cry grace people cry oh isn't it wonderful that you chose such a wonderful person like me no they cry lord why me out of all the inhabitants of this world why should you set your love On me why should you send your son to die for me what is there in me that could possibly ever want you to show this amazing kindness and goodness and love to me just a miserable worm I do like the way that when these 18th century hymn writers try to link our sense of unworthiness to the most despicable creature that they can think of in the world, it's always the poor, lowly earthworm. Now, I, I, think we ought to, I think we ought to start an earthworm appreciation society. I, 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 th- I think they've had enough of this by now, um, but they, I think they do take pride in being a, a good breakfast for the early bird that catches them uh, uh, early in the morning so they, they have some success in their lives. But what are we, what were these people boasting in? They're boasting in their race, they're Jewish. They're boasting in their circumcision. They're boasting perhaps in their class. Some today would boasting in their wealth or their learning or their success. But a grace person is the most humble person on the face of this earth. He knows true humility. He knows and recognises That everything he has, he has received. What is there possible? uh, uh, What possibility of seeing anything in and of ourselves that we could ever glory in? So there's no ground for pride or boasting. But secondly, these uh, grace people are marked out by the fact that the love affair, the love affair with the world is over verse 14 by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world the love affair with this world is over for a grace person now when I grew up uh, in a little Baptist church in the 50s um, uh, they had a a, a rather narrow view of uh, worldliness it was to do with uh, things you ate or drank, uh, places you went, sorts of things you wore. Now, that is not the Bible's definition of worldliness, and nor is it Paul's definition of worldliness. He's not bothered to write all this letter... Uh, by saying, really, actually, yes, we all ought to become pharisaical legalists, like these false teachers. It's just that it's their legalism that is wrong. They're just ticks, ticking the wrong boxes. Here's a new set of boxes that I'm going to give to you that you can tick instead. That would be absurd. If you read the whole letter or port of the Galatians, such a thought is absolutely absurd what then is worldliness well i think there's two things in new testament worldliness one is the sense of where we belong that we no longer belong to this world we don't belong to this fallen world we we we've been saved from that we're not part of adam's fallen human race anymore Uh, and, and we're not part Therefore, of Satan's co- cohort, the world is, is Satan's domain. It's, it's where people that are opposed to God and his Christ dwell. It's, it's, it's their club. It's not our club anymore. We've been delivered from that. We're, we're now in a new grouping uh, called Born Again Christians and people saved by, by grace. But secondly, flowing from the first is that it's about values. Philosophy of life how we think of course that will affect the everyday things of of where we go what we do our conduct but the uh, 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 Worldliness is, is is more to do with what what are the things that matter to 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 us? What what consumes our, our thinking what motivates us the world is motivated by material things, by success, by the celebrity culture, by being able to boast and, and glory in a, a great achievements. No, says Paul, that's gone. We're crucified to that forever. No, we now have Christ centered desires. We have new hearts. We have renewed minds. We have new values. We think about Everything differently. Jesus Christ is everything to us. We love Him. We've died to the values of this world. All I once held dear, built my life upon, all this world reveres and wars to own, all I once thought gain, I have counted loss. Spent and worthless now compared to this. Knowing you, Jesus. Knowing you. Now my heart's desire is to know you more. To be found in you and known as yours. To possess by faith what I could not earn. Or surpassing gift of righteousness. Oh to know the power of your risen life and to know you in your sufferings, to become like you in your death, my Lord. So, with you to live and never die, knowing you, Jesus. Knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all, you're the best, you're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you lord the love affair with the world is over because we've fallen in love with the lord jesus christ he now means more to us than anything that the world could ever begin to offer so what marks out grace people well they don't boast they don't glory in themselves they they They've been delivered from the love affair to this world. But thirdly, a willingness to suffer. Look at verse 17. From now on let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. So he's prepared now to face all for Jesus Christ and his cross. He's, he's no he knows what it is to have a life of of suffering like his Lord this word uh, marks is one of those um, uh, Greek words that you may well have come across it's the it's the word stigmata and if you sometimes see these Hollywood films uh, about uh, Roman Catholic nuns and people like that and they say that they that the, the middle of their hands begin to bleed where the nails of the cross you know were uh, and that's called their stigmata. Now, it's nothing to do with that sort of nonsense. The word literally means brand. It's like when a, a Cumbrian farmer sort of puts a, a brand mark on his sheep so that as they wander all over those fells, he, he, he can see which one belongs to him. So, what marks pull out as being the Jesus brand? What is What is the mark that... That he bears in his body well it's the mark of a broken body, a, a body that has been wrecked through beatings and stonings and, and whippings and and uh, and, uh, and privations of the normal things of life and being uh, floating in a in a sea for, for days and shipwrecked after being shipwrecked and being in danger from bandits and being uh, harassed. and. Uh, as it were, from, from pillar to post, and, and, and uh, all the problems of trying to lead these churches and, and write these sorts of letters to these people that, having heard the gospel of grace, and are now departing from it and causing him all these troubles. What marks him out as being a grace person <coughs> is that Jesus' sufferings are seen In his life he will serve Christ whatever the cost but fourthly grace people live as the people of God and as for all who walk by this rule peace and mercy be upon them verse 16 and upon the Israel of God or perhaps the word and could be even upon uh, the Israel of God who are the the true israel who who are the true people of god well galatians 3 tells us that paul's argued throughout that and into chapter 4 that the true people of god are not those who have the dna of abraham who are blood relatives of of abraham the true people of god are those who have the faith of abraham they are his sons they are his true children this is the people that are living now as New Covenant believers. They, they're living with the same faith that Abraham had. They, they're, they're people taken from all the nations of the world that have the same faith as Abraham. And they live by different standards. And as for all who walk by this rule. Um, the word rule there is perhaps not a helpful translation of the Greek word uh, canon. Because when we think of rule, we think of um, the sort of rules that we need to obey. The word canon is more to do with a standard. Um, I don't know whether it's still there, but when I was a boy, the maths teacher told me that uh, there was a a yardstick somewhere up in, in central London kept at constant humidity and temperature and everybody could come and as it were compare their yardstick in the days when they used to measure things with yards and all that to 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 this perfect one so so what 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 is the rod what is the measuring rod that we measure our lives to or perhaps we should say who is the measuring rod to whom we compare our lives of course it's the Lord Jesus Christ. That is that is the new standard. That is the new level that we aim uh, and press forward to to to, to towards. That, uh, that 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 the things. Uh, and how do we do that? How do we reach this 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 standard so that we are more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, it's it's not through the Juda- the, the circumcision party and the Judaizers and adding all sorts of everyday um things from this world into our lives it's it's by using all the things that paul's been talking about in this letter that flows from true faith and grace and god's spirit chapter five is full of the fruit that the spirit produces in our lives at the end of that chapter leading in to this final chapter god's word that has the life to inspire us to be more like the lord jesus christ and just a longing that the holy spirit gives us to be more like our saviour that is the standard that's the canon to which uh, we aspire of course the word canon comes in other places as well you may be familiar with it Um, uh, we talk about uh, the canon of the new testament the books the 27 books that come up to the standard that, that have that sort of ring of authenticity about them as being truly the word of god if you've been uh, involved in the church of england uh, the laws within that are called the canon laws the standards if you like of the of the church uh, of uh, of england how can we how can we begin to measure to this absolutely high standard impossibly high standard well uh, perhaps not in this life but the grace that we need is provided for us peace mercy and grace in verses 16 and 18 to meet our daily spiritual needs mercy because we sin every day and we need God's mercy and forgiveness and pardon peace because whatever we do we are reconciled with God because of the Lord Jesus Christ our relationship with him is not dependent upon the quality of our lives but upon the quality of Jesus's life and what he has done on our behalf and inexhaustible supplies of grace the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit brothers there's this fountain at Calvary that's been opened up this river this that these these, these waters of grace keep flowing that meet our daily needs supply all the needs that we ever need to be able to live the Christian life, inexhaustible supplies of grace because this life is not lived in our power. If it was, then we would have something to boast about and we wouldn't be a grace person, would we? This, this uh, life is only lived by the power of God's Spirit and his grace working in our lives. So four things that define how we live. We don't boast. Uh, the love affair with the world is over a willingness to suffer and living to the standards the new standards of the the true people of god finally grace people glory glory in the cross look at verse 14 again paul says but far be it from me uh, to glory or boast except in the cross of the lord Jesus Christ. That's what grace people do. We boast, we glory, we trust in, we rejoice in, we revel in, we live for the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. John Stotters described what it means to to glory or boast in the cross in this way. He says, uh, The object of our boast or glory fills our horizons engrosses our attention and absorbs our time and energy in a word our glory is our obsession are you obsessed with the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ because this sermon started with us going to Calvary I forgot to say that um, It it is, by the way, a one-way ticket. You cannot glory in the cross and therefore be a a grace person unless that shadow of the cross is upon every hour of your Christian life. It's beneath the cross of Jesus that we feign to take our stand. Uh, And uh, it, it, it... Controls everything about us, you know. As I look out on all the the problems that come into our our lives, and and for Christian people, uh, enormous tragedies can come into our lives, inexplicable tragedies, like the Grenfell Tower type of tragedy. So, one of my friends at Bible College died in a in a plane crash uh, in America. Some people die young with awful terminal illnesses. Some people die suddenly in, 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 uh, in accidents. Uh, mothers know the awful loss sometimes of small children. How, how can we ever get our heads round this? How can we ever deal with those temptations, those attacks rather of Satan when these disasters hit us that he will come and whisper won't he in his ear you, love the, you say you love this God you say this God loves you you say he cares for you you say he's a kind God he's a gracious God look what he's done to your life look at all, look at all these issues you now have look, look at all the pain and the suffering you've had to endure how could we ever Get our heads round at that. Well, we take another look at the cross. Because a cross, a God who is prepared to send his son to suffer to such great extent for you and me, is a God I can trust in. I can trust the God of Calvary, who spared not his own son but gave him up for us all. That's why we boast. That's why we glory. That's why we're obsessed with the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we look every day at that cross, it dissolves our hearts in thankfulness and melts our eyes to tears.